our preface, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 13. You ready for the Bible today? All right, hopefully you are. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And this is Paul writing, and he says this, If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then Paul writes what's probably one of the most famous pieces of scripture on love. Many of us have heard it. Maybe you've never been in church before. I know that you've heard this scripture. And it says this, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude. It's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he writes this, which is a powerful statement in a time and a generation that we live in currently. It would be easy to doubt this next statement. He says, love never ends. But we've seen it end, haven't we? We've seen it come crashing down, go up in flames, and so a portion of Scripture like this, if we're honest, if we want to hold the Bible to accountability if, with our thoughts about it, it's hard, to, it's hard to look at that and go, I believe that. But Paul says love never, it never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Now, I want you to hear what Paul writes here because this is important because this is going to highlight some of the topic we want to deal with today. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will now know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love, is love. This morning as we begin our brand new series, Hashtag All the Feels, I want to speak to you from the subject more than a feeling, more than a feeling. As we look at the sum and the substance of our relationships being so much more than our feelings and our emotions. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, I pray that you would teach us right now some of us have been invited here. Some of us have come out of our own volition. Some of us are here out of desperation today, God. And I pray that you would meet every single one of us, that you would speak to every single situation, God. Our hearts are soft. Our ears are listening to you right now. Speak to us. We need your voice in our lives. I thank you for this amazing church. Not the four walls, not the doors that we walked through, but the people that have, that have and will sit in this building all across the weekend. We love you, we worship you, we honor you in this moment. Teach us now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. I've known my wife for, I think it's, we're going on like 20, 20 plus, you're doing 25, 26 years. I said 22 in the earlier service, but as I was doing the math, it's a whole lot more. Um, so we've known each other for a really, really long time. We met in fifth grade. She saw me in children's ministry, and it was game over for her. <laughs> she couldn't go back. And so 
We've known each other for a really long time. We've worked through all kinds of different iterations of relationship. We were uh, Twitter-pated with each other in, in fifth grade, right? Uh, we went through puberty together in junior high. That was awesome. When her voice was lower than mine, um, that was fun. Um, <laughs> I'll, st- <laughs> I'll still never forget one of our first kisses was at church where it shouldn't have been. I don't even think my father-in-law knows this. <laughs> um, <laughs> as he stands back there with his arms crossed. Um, <laughs> it was, our, it was our, one of our first kisses, if not our first kiss. It was at church after, do as I say, not as I do, students, okay? Just want to put that out there, right? All these guys were like, yes, the church is awesome. <laughs> so... We had this garden in the, middle of the, in, in the middle of the courtyard area, and there was like this little piece of sidewalk that jetted up. It was like a curb. And at this point in our relationship, still being in junior high, Erica was taller than me. And uh, I knew that I was going to make a move on her, and I was going to give her a kiss. And so in order to give her this kiss, I had to stand up on the curb so I could kiss her. She remembers this. You could ask her. I'm 100% true. That was awesome. And uh, so good. <laughs> I went through a growth spurt in 10th grade and finally got tall. Um, but our relationship's gone through all kinds of different iterations from those immature days, um, working through high school and college and everything like that, to eventually proposing to her, getting married, and now having been married for almost 14 years. Love has changed. The idea of love has changed. And this is an important truth for us to realize and understand because for many of us, our understanding of love is simply emotional in nature. But what Paul's writing to us right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that love is not a feeling, love is something so much more. And I'm concerned that we live in a generation right now, I'm not just talking about young people, I'm talking about all of us that are currently breathing in this generation where culture is reshaping the way that we look at things. It's reshaping the way that we negotiate things. It's, it's reshaping the way that we understand things. And if we're not careful, we could quickly allow love and the basis of love and the basis of our relationships to simply be the category of feelings that all come together in any given moment. And in doing so, we chop the legs out from underneath what true relationship and true love is. It becomes fickle, it becomes flighty, it becomes to something that kind of just goes with the wind of life and the winds of change. But Paul is saying, listen, we have to understand something, that love and relationships are so much more than our emotions. So much more than our emotions. See, Erica and I, we've gone through a lot of different iterations in, in our life and have quickly come to find out that we can feel different things on different days. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Right? And especially the married people in the house, you would know this. Not every day, if I'm honest, not every day I get up and I'm like, oh, I feel so in love. Right? It's definitely easier for for, for me, right? And not every day does she get up and she's like, oh, man, that just man of just ravishing charm and hunkiness. Like, that's not every day. I wish, but it's not every day. Because how many of you would, would agree with me on this relationship? Love is not spelt the way that we think it's spelt. It's spelt W-O-R-K. You've got to work at it. And Paul's submitting to us. He's saying, listen, I used to do things like a child. 
There was some immaturity there. My thought processes weren't what they should be. But when I grew up, when I established maturity, when I started to understand some things, when truth started to be revealed to me, it changed the way that I did things. And then he writes this synopsis on love. Out of his maturity comes a better understanding of what love is. And this isn't just important for, for friendships or for dating or for marriage or relationships. In general. This, is, this is important for our relationship with God as well. Why? Because our relationship with Jesus is not just based on feelings. But don't we want hashtag all the feels? This is why when we first give our life to Jesus or we come into a moment like this, you're just like, oh, this is so awesome. The worship was so amazing. I had all the goosebumps and all the stuff and you walk out and you're like a lamb in the middle of a field. Just excited and everything's awesome. And it's two weeks and then three weeks and everything's great, four weeks, five weeks, so on and so on. And then there's this one moment about a year into your relationship with God where you walk into a service like this and you don't feel anything. And then we say things like, oh, wow, Pastor Justin just wasn't on it today. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> if they just would have done that song, the song, it gets me every time. Did you hear Devani hit a bad note? He never hits a bad note, but it was bad today. I don't even know if God's real anymore. <laughs> Feelings! Right? And then so we start negotiating our relationship with Jesus through feelings. But if we understand the course of anything, we start to quickly realize that feelings have nothing to do with it. Feelings don't have anything to do with how we negotiate our relationship. And that's a hard statement for some of us, especially the feelers in the room. Because we have a couple different people in the room, right? We have people who don't feel anything. <laughs> you're stoic. There's, it's just like, it's computable information and you're good, Right? Then there's the A-type personalities that just kind of bulldog through everything. And then there's the feelers, the, the creatives in the room. And the fact that I said that feelings don't matter, you're already feeling really upset at me. <laughs> right? Feelings are good, we're going to discover. They're important, we're going to discover. But they don't take the lead on everything. And as important as feelings are in our life, there's something greater that we have to establish. And that is what I want to take a look at today. I want to work through some stuff. And over the course of this series, I want to use this message today to create a framework for us to operate in when it comes to all the relational dynamic things that we're going to be talking about. And I will say this. I want you to lean in with us during this series. Because I'm not going to be the only one talking. In a church that's growing the way that it is and getting ready to expand the way that we are, we've got to introduce new voices to our church. And so Pastor Justin's going to be speaking next week. He's going to be doing an awesome message. You don't want to miss it. Pastor Erica, Pastor Andrew are going to be speaking in this series. It's going to be an amazing time. So I want to encourage you. I know it's the dog days of summer right now. But I want to encourage you to lean in with us. Invite friends. Bring people. Get here. Because we're going to, we're going to discuss some things that are important for every single one of us to understand. But this morning what I want to do is I want to take a look at four truths that we need to understand about our feelings and how to deal with them appropriately. And I pray that this helps you as much as it's helping me negotiate my relationships and work appropriately in them. So I need your help this morning. Everybody shout number one. The first thing that we need to understand about feelings is this. Feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. 
Feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. How many of you love it when the Bible calls you out? And you're like, oh, did you say that? Yeah, he just said it. Proverbs 28, 26 will do that to you. Watch what it says. It says, the one who trusts in himself is a fool, but one who walks in wisdom will be safe. Feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. Writer John Bloom says it like this in an article he's just recently released at DesiringGod.com. He said, God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. They're meant to report to you, not dictate you. See, the pattern of your emotions will give you a reading on where your hope is because they are wired into what you believe and value and how much. That's why emotions like delight, affection, fear, anger, joy, etc. are so important in the Bible. They reveal what your heart loves, trusts, and fears. And then he says this about the place that he works. He says, at desiring God, we like to say pleasure is the measure of your treasure because the emotion of pleasure is a gauge that tells you what you love. Why is he writing this to us? Because he's helping us understand that feelings are just meant to inform us of what wisdom needs to process. Because if we're not careful, pleasure, pain, fear, joy, anger, affection, all of those things could rule us, and how many of you would agree with me, when they start making the decisions for our life, it can get really dangerous. So we've got to understand something here, that our emotions, while they are important to us, they are there to inform us of what wisdom needs to process. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you have kids in the room right now? Okay, good, a good portion of us, some more than others. <laughs> how many of you know that when a child gets hurt and something happens to them, they do something to inform us that something's taken place. So my son gets hurt in the backyard or in the front yard riding his bike or so on and so forth. Well, it happened the other night. If, I'm gonna, if I can use Seth and Kai as an example. They were hanging out. We were doing the 4th of July together. And we're hanging out really late at night out in the, out in the uh, driveway, the half cul-de-sac that we have, watching all the neighbors who were in contest with each other. Who could light the bigger firework? And so we were hanging out, we were talking, and all of a sudden, my, my street's pretty dark. The kiddos, uh, my, my son and my daughter and, and Hannah, their, their daughter, go into the garage and they get bikes and a scooter. And we're watching them, and my kids put their helmets on and they're on their bikes, so on and so forth. But Hannah grabbed a scooter, and she starts taking off in, in the cul-de-sac. Well, there's this part in the cul-de-sac where the street indents because there's a manhole. And there's a cover there. And it was almost like clockwork as Hannah makes this corner and starts to come down that you could see all the parents shift their disposition because we knew what was about to happen. And I can't remember if it was Kaiser or Seth literally called it out, Hannah, watch out for that. Woo! Boom, 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 boom. And she takes a tumble like no other. Now, she wasn't wearing her helmet at the time, so it looked like her face and her head and her whole body just go planting into the ground. And at that moment, she starts crying crazy tears. And she's yelling and screaming. Now, how many of you know that in that moment, the parents reacted? Why? Because her feelings were letting us on to some information that we needed to understand. So Seth picks her up, we take her into the garage, I run downstairs, I get a first aid kit, she's bleeding just on the toe, everything else was fine. But now, ah, get it? 
Her toe was bleeding. The emotion was as if her head had been decapitated. <laughs> right? And so Seth's there, and he's like, coach, and he's like, baby, it's your toe. <laughs> They call, he, she calls me uncle. Uncle went down to get a band-aid. We're going to get nothing else was wrong with her. But nothing in her emotional status had changed. Have you ever realized how much we do that? Now, how many of you know that they would have been awesome parents if they just would have sat there and started crying with her? <laughs> Said no one ever, right? Seth would have been like, oh, my God. oh you're going to die. Like, that would have been horrible. But isn't that what we want people to do with us as well? Why? Because most of us are feelings led. So Seth was trying to help Hannah see that the injury that she'd incurred was very different than the feelings that she was expressing. Why? Because our feelings lied to us a lot of different times. And that's why Paul's writing to us this about love and maturing in our feelings and maturing in understandings. Because feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. You see, if Seth and Kaisa would have just simply sat with Hannah, cried with her, yelled, screamed, and encouraged her that she was dead as well, how many of you know that nothing good would have come from it? But what happened? Her feelings informed us of what then wisdom told us to do. Get a first aid. Get a band-aid. Console her. Counsel her. Make sure she's good. Make her feel safe, so on and so forth. Why? Because wisdom implied will override feelings that are based on so many other factors. And the problem is, is that so many of us are doing relationships with feelings like that. We receive a text from somebody. We watch a Facebook post and we think it's about us. We work through the dynamics of our marriages and things not going the way that we want them to go or they should go. And we feel certain ways. But here's the question, when was the last time we allowed wisdom to take the lead instead of our feelings to take the lead? And that's what I want to encourage us with this morning. Because the first thing that we need to, the first truth we need to understand about our feelings is this is the feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. We need to learn to process our feelings appropriately. I wonder, here's the question I want us to wrestle with, I wonder if we have the ability to allow our feelings to be overridden by wisdom. Is there an override process in your soul? Is there an override process in your heart? See, that moment of anger, that moment of pain, that moment of euphoria, that moment of love, that moment of attraction, that moment of fear, you fill in the blank. I wonder if in the moment we can allow our feelings to be the gauge, but allow wisdom to be the guide. I feel like I need to stay on this point for a minute. Let me illustrate it another way. Joseph, how many of you have heard of Joseph before? In the Bible, he went through some gnarly stuff. He's in Genesis. He goes through some stuff that, well, his brothers sell him out. He's almost dead. He gets sold into slavery, and then he finds himself in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar puts him over charge of a lot of different things in his house. Well, the Bible tells us that one day Potiphar leaves, and when he leaves, Potiphar's wife comes on to him. And he's found in an in, in a interesting predicament. The Bible tells us that Joseph is there, and he's rugged and good-looking and, and buff and Man of God and all that stuff, and then Potiphar's wife comes in. <laughs> and he's given an option in this moment. He's put in a predicament where Potiphar's wife is like, hey, hey. Potiphar's gone right now, and it's just you and me, buddy. We can do anything. 
And the Bible tells us that Joseph doesn't allow his feelings, because how many of you know there's potentially some feelings there? He's stuck in an interesting predicament. And, and, and we got, we got to read the Bible in ways that we look at people in reality. Okay, because so many of us think that every character in the Bible like just floated around. They were perfect. I can guarantee you as a young man, Joseph has now got a million and one things going through his head right now. He's like, ooh. She's attracted. She's coming on. Potiphar is gone. I'm kind of the man right now. I'm by myself with her. Anything can happen and no one would know. But the Bible indicates that Joseph in that moment doesn't allow feelings to engage. He uses wisdom to run. Now his life got horrible because he made the right decision in that moment. But the interesting thing is, is that in that moment he allowed wisdom to dictate how he was going to respond to certain things. Why? Because feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. What feelings do you have that need to then bow to wisdom in order to work it out? In order to work it out. Feelings inform us of what wisdom needs to process. Every shot number two. Here's the second truth that we need to understand about feelings, is that feelings are valid, but that does not make them right. Feelings are valid, but it doesn't make them right. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. It's amazing, and I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else out of this message this morning, please, every single person here this morning, hear this. It is amazing how many times we have allowed the truths of our lives to be established by the lies of our feelings. Let me say that one more time. It is amazing how many of us have allowed the truths of our lives to be established by the lies of our feelings because every one of us has a paradigm of truth. Every single one of us has a paradox of truth and, and, and these truths are what line out our life. And many of us, we stand on these truths. But I've come to find out in dealing with people and in dealing with myself, many of us have allowed the lies of our feelings to establish the truth of our lives. You're just a shameful person. You're just this. You're never going to get over that divorce. No one's going to ever love you again. You're not good enough to have great friends. That thing was about you. You don't deserve to have love relationship, life. Come on, somebody. These are the truths that establish many of our lives. And we need to understand something, that in Christ, the truths are erased. I am a new creation. But we got to stop allowing our feelings to dictate certain truths that are incongruent with the truth of his word. We've got to change the cycle. Feelings are valid, but that does not make them right. And this is something that we talk about in our marriage all the time. Erica has certain feelings about things. I have certain feelings about things. And there's been many moments where we've had feelings about things, and then we had a discussion, and we realized that our feelings weren't correct. You ever been there before? You ever felt something before? Come to find out later down the road, I shouldn't have been feeling that. It's amazing how many of our lives are dictated by these feelings that end up lying to us. We talk about this in pre-marriage counseling. I love pre-marriage counseling. Here's why. Because I have the sole responsibility of destroying people's paradigm of marriage. <laughs> it's awesome, right? These couples come in holding hands with rose-colored glasses on, and they're like, he's just so amazing. She's just awesome. She's the pinnacle of my life. And then I get to go, oh, see those glasses? Oh, they're beautiful. Crumble. 
Why? Because their marriages or their soon-to-be marriages are based off of feelings. I want to help them see truth. Why? So that they can have the best marriage possible. Because if we can deconstruct the feeling-oriented negotiation of our lives and relationships, we can then build a truth-oriented relational dynamic in our lives. But many of us don't try to do that. We just want to live in the feeling, don't we? Feelings are valid. I love my wife. Like, I mean, everything, I love Erica. There's certain times where I'll just be sitting on the couch next to her, and we're watching a movie, and we're not like, we're in gym clothes, and her hair's up sideways, right? There might be some mascara, like, hanging down a little bit. And I'm like, my God, this woman is amazing. She's beautiful, right? And she'll look over at me, this ravishing, balding man. She's like, I'm married, the most amazing man ever. But there are moments in our day, too, where we're just ships in the night. We're passing by, and we're wrangling kids, and we're sharply talking to each other as we pass by, and we're negotiating schedules and changing diapers, and da, 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 da. And it's in that moment, if we're honest about it, especially the married folks, that we have this thought that we never thought we would have. Do I want this for the rest of my life? Is this what I signed up for? Because it was supposed to be so sexy. Right? This is not what it looked like on days of our lives. <laughs> so then we start doing feelings and we start distancing ourselves from each other and we start negotiating things differently. When you know what? Some days I don't feel like it. But every day I love the way I should. Why? Because I'm in love, not in feelings. Like Paul said, love never ends. But we've seen that. Why? And we hear people, I fell, I fell out of love. Can I just tell you, real love, you don't fall in and out of love. But you can fall in and out of feelings. We do it every day. Right? We fall into feelings that we don't want. We fall into feelings that we do want. But love is different. When I thought like a child, when I reasoned like a child, when I did things like a child, I did things one way. But when I progressed, when I matured, I did things another way. We've got to understand that our feelings are valid, but that does not make them right. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27 says this, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Watch what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. This is what drives me nuts about Christians sometimes, is that we judge others for feeling certain ways. We make feeling bad. We're not saying feeling's bad. What you do with the feeling, that changes everything. So Paul says, be angry. Be so mad. But what do you do with that anger? What do you do with that anger when that guy cuts you off and you're just like, I want to run him off the road? Right? What do you do when your husband hasn't done the dishes as much as you need him to? What do you do with that anger? <laughs> right? What do you do when that friend of yours posts something on Facebook and you know it is about you? And you just want to Facebook them back. Right? Have you noticed that Facebook's become like the new weapon of the 21st century? Man, it's daggers. Be angry, but don't sin. 
<laughs> Anger, pain, fear, disappointment, confusion, frustration are all feelings that both Eric and I have shared over the course of our marriage. I want to I, I I dig into this one because I think some of us need to understand because we need to deal with feelings in a very truthful matter. Anger, fear, attraction, sexual attraction. Something that the, the Bible doesn't really stray away from. It talks about it pretty clearly. We have this feeling and then we live according to it. It gets quiet in church this morning. <laughs> what are we saying? Be angry. You're going to have these feelings. The question is, is what do you do with the feelings? Do the feelings rule you, or does God rule you and your feelings? What I'm tired of is creating theology that says if you feel something, you're bad. You're not bad for feeling something. You're not bad for going through the process of your humanity. See, God didn't give his son Jesus to die on the cross to strip our humanity away. He came to save us. He came to say, listen, I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to stand in the midst of your humanity and in its most broken form and its most broken situation. I want you to understand that I'm with you. You're going to experience the feelings of your humanity, but understand that you're empowered by my godness to walk through those feelings appropriately. But the only way that we know how to deal with it is make people feel bad that they feel certain ways. Oh, if you're a true Christian, you shouldn't feel that way. You have the victory. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? There are many days I don't feel the victory. I feel that I want to kill that person. <laughs> Come on, am I are we talking to real people in the house this morning? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> See, when you learn to work through certain feelings, when you learn to work through these things in an appropriate way, you start to understand, okay, this is what I feel, but then this is how I behave. And they don't have to go together. My feelings don't have to dictate the way they behave. Why? Because feelings are valid, but that does not make them right. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it's the right feeling. But how many times have we created this moral rightness because we experienced the feeling? Well, it's the way that I feel. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to win an argument that way? Why do you, it's just the way that I feel. Okay, since when did that become the compass of right? Because I feel a different way. Because feelings are valid. So Eric and I say to each other, I say, hey, listen, that feeling that you have is valid, 100%. But that's actually not what I meant when I said that. So while your feelings are valid, you feel a certain way, it's not, it's not on point, it's not right. So then my feelings and her feelings, they become the conduit for proper communication. We'll talk about communication another time. But we need to understand the second truth about feelings is that feelings are valid, but that does not make them right. You hearing me so far, church? All right, number three. Have we shot number three? three? Number three. Here we go. We're going to dig deeper. Following your heart is sexy, but it's not smart. <laughs> Following our heart is sexy, but it's not Smart. Why? Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 says it. This is when the Bible just really kind of, mm, right in the gut. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And incurable, who can understand it? 
Jeremiah would go on to tell us that God, only God, understands the full capabilities of our heart. And this is such an important truth for us to understand. You see, our feelings are hardwired into fallen and broken vessels. Therefore, listen to this, to follow them independent of a greater guide in our lives is to set ourselves up for personal peril and real frustration. We need a guide. Why? Because our hearts are broken. Now, wait a second, Jason. I learned a long time ago that Jesus heals all things. Yes, big theological word, sanctification. The process of God's healing in our lives on a daily basis. I like to say it this way, grace applied daily. Come on, how many of you need grace applied daily? Right? So this is what happens. We come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I am broken. I need you to take the lead on my life. I need you to take the steering wheel of my heart and drive this thing. Why? Because I am incapable of leading myself because I have a broken heart. So we have to abdicate to a higher power who then helps us negotiate this life. And we go through process of healing. And this is what I want you to hear. On this side of heaven, we're never fully healed. We're constantly in a hospital. I am still in the hospital. You know what I think about the church? I think the church is a hospital. Some of us have just been in the hospital a little bit longer. So we know where to go to get the best help. But I'm still in the hospital. I'm still in that gown with my backside showing. It's <laughs> the way it should be. I'm going to do a message in, in the next series when we get into Anatomically Correct, a series about the church. I'm going to do a, ser- I'm going to do a message called Decorative Pillows. And we're going to deal with this idea that we want the church to just be this decorative pillow, this beautiful thing, but it's not. It's not a decorative pillow. It's a hospital. It's not this beautiful thing. It's this beautiful disaster. Following our hearts is sexy. It's sexy to say, I just want to follow my heart. Hashtag carpe diem. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So we go get a tattoo. We change our hair color. I'm going to live life. I'm just going to follow my heart. When really what we're saying is, I want to do what I want to do and not think about the repercussions, the people I hurt, or the things that happen in my life. See, it's sexy to say it. I heard a country song the other day while watching a show, and this like just reverberated in my ears when I heard it. The singer said this, if it don't feel right, then it's wrong. And I went, the statement of a generation. I just, I just want to follow my heart. Because I feel it deep on the inside. Because I feel it, it's right. Well, no, it's not. Why? Because our hearts are deceptively wicked. Have you ever followed your feelings before and quickly realized that where they led you was the worst place possible? I know, we said we're going to do this fun relationship series in the summertime, and everybody's like, woohoo! And then week one, we're going to do some surgery. Why? Because if we can get this stuff down, all the glorious relationships we can have. Because following our heart is sexy, but it's not, it's not smart. So what's so wrong with following our heart? Well, you see, our heart, as we read, is more deceitful than anything. 
And when we come into this relationship with Jesus, we enter into a healing program. There's process that we're all going through. So we have to learn to subject ourselves to the goodness of God's grace in our lives. And when we do that, he takes the lead. Here's the question I want us to wrestle with, and I want us to wrestle with for this week. Think about it. Write it in your journal. In what ways have I followed my heart when I know I should have been letting Jesus lead? How do we work through this? So that's the third truth that we need to understand about feelings. And the fourth one is this. Come on, every shout number four. It's the last one. Our feelings were never designed to be our counselor, so stop consulting them. Our feelings were never designed to be our counselors, so stop consulting them. John chapter 16, 12 through 14 tells us where our counsel should come from. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The question is not about how I feel about it. The question is what does God say about it? And he has something to say about it all. The question is whether or not you're wanting to know what he says about it. Listen, feelings tell us how we feel. Truth tells us how we should feel. Truth tells us how we should feel. How it should alter. Because every single one of us is trying to do something that we were never meant to do, and that is produce and manufacture certain feelings in our lives. We want love, don't we? I want to point this out in a minute. We want love. We want joy. We want peace. We want patience. We want kindness and goodness and gentleness, and we're wanting self-control in so many different areas. And so how many of you would agree with me that so many times in life we're looking for people, we're looking for situations, we're looking for stuff and things to produce in us all those feelings. But I want you to see what the Bible says about it. Galatians chapter 5, 23 through 26 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Jason, not the fruit of Erica, not the fruit of Andrew, the fruit of the Spirit, watch what it is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Notice that our feelings, at least the right ones, are not self-produced product, but rather a Spirit-enabled position. It's God who imputes these things to us. So many of us in our relationships are trying to produce these things, right? Maybe I'll just try to love him harder. Maybe I'll just try to love her harder. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'll never forget a married couple that Eric and I counseled a long, long time ago. And we're sitting with them and walking through all their feelings about their marriage. And I told them something as we were sitting there talking. I was like, dude, listen, I'm going to tell you what to do. And I'm usually not this bold when I tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you what to do. He's telling me all these things that they're trying, all these things that they're doing. And I said, bro, you need to give up on that marriage. He looked at me. I go, what? I said, you need to give up. 
you stop. It's ridiculous. And he's just looking at me like, how, as my pastor, could you say such a thing? I said, listen, you've got to give up. You've got to let the Spirit of God do what he does. You're trying to produce love. He's the one who gives it. You're trying to produce peace in this thing. But peace is, you can't manufacture, we can't manufacture that. We can't do, we can't build that. Why? Because our hearts are inherently broken. So what are we saying? We're saying, I need to be in the most submissive place possible, in a posture of submission. And I say, God, I need you to give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Because I can't do it. Only you can. We give us as humans way too much credit. Look at our world. Look at what we've produced. And I don't want to be the doomsdayest person. That's not my heart. But I just want us to see if humans were capable of certain things, do you think it'd be a little bit better than it is? So here's my equation. We've been doing it one way for so long. Why don't we give God the opportunity to do it His way for a while? What would happen if the Spirit of God entered your marriage? What happened if the Spirit of God entered your friendships? What happens if the Spirit of God entered your workplace? What happens if the Spirit of God resides in our church? Erica's going to talk about offense in a couple weeks, how to be unoffendable. We're going we're to challenge some things. And that's why I felt like we need to come out the gate swinging on this one. Feelings. Maybe Boston had it right. It's more than a feeling, more than a feeling. That's good theology right there. They were on to something. I thought the team needed to do that for a worship song, but they turned me down, so. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning?